You're listening to the AdCast with your host, Eric Elliott. Oh my, the stars have a line because we have a constellation on the AdCast today. How about that? You like the way I did that for you, Diana? I like that, Eric. Very awesome. smart. Uh, I, I'm excited to talk to you. Right before we started going in, I told you the reasons why, but there's so many more reasons. Um, I want to kind of tell everybody a little bit about your resume. So uh, you tell me, you stop me if I get something wrong um, about Constellation and you. Constellation is a global New York-based SaaS company that's been exponential, that's seen exponential growth since its founding in 2016. And your proprietary end-to-end enterprise marketing technology allows top brands in Fortune 500s, notice I said Fortune 500, um, to seamlessly build, launch, and manage hyper-targeted compliant campaigns at scale with you at the helm. And I have on the line today with me Miss Diana Lee, and she is the co-founder and CEO. Diana, I'm sure Pete's going to put some applause in here behind you, but welcome to the AdCast. How are you? Thank you so much, Eric. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you actually asking me to be a guest. Well, I I appreciate you wanting to be on. You know, I am. There's a ton of things that I want to ask you. And, you know, you know, for our agency, we've done some work in the automotive space. And like, you know, we were talking about tier one, tier two and tier three uh, earlier. And I mean, you've got 30 years into this and that's 30 years of experience and being an automotive is not easy by yeah. any means, you know? Mm-hmm. So I want to know, Diana, what drew you to the automotive space? Because you could have done anything. What what drew you to yeah. it? I mean, it's this word that I like really struggled with my whole life and it's called self-identification. I didn't mm. know who I was. So I was 18 years old. I was going to college. And as an immigrant that came to the U.S. in 1974, you know, I just didn't want to burden my parents with always having to take care of me, right? Like growing up, growing up in the slums, moving 10 times, being robbed every other day and having my mom held up in gunpoint. You don't want your parents to care for you and struggle to care for you, right? So I was in college. They couldn't really afford my school. And so I wanted to work for that reason because I didn't want to burden my parents. So one day I look at an ad, it was a newspaper ad, and they were hiring a greeter for a local car dealership down the street. I went in, got the job as a greeter. One week later, Eric, and if you know the car business, it's like, oh, yeah, they promise you this, and then you get something else. A week later, they go, oh, you're not a greeter anymore. We need salespeople. You're a salesperson now. Go and actually greet some customers. Oh, my God. So that's how it all happened. It, It happened in... 1989 that way and i stayed in oh, it for four years all throughout college they gave me a demo i made really decent money and i was able to pay for my college during that time i i went to school from nine to two and i worked two to nine every day i worked every weekend saturday and sunday and then finally mm-hmm. got through paying off school man you got some kind of success story you i think you and i are like kindred spirits you know <laughs> We're kindred spirits because, you know, when I started out, uh, even before I got into media, I was in the the restaurant business and, and there's, there's, there's something, I had a conversation with my, my buddy Chip Barbeau yesterday about this. 
when I started in the restaurant business, I was a dishwasher, which is like your greeter. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's almost like a, there's there's some things there's like a science behind that. And 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 I'll, I'll explain when you are a dishwasher yeah. uh, in a restaurant in a restaurant, you see all the plates that are ordered. You almost know what's the most popular thing on the menu by the plates that you're cleaning. Right. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, then you as a greeter, you've learned all these personalities that actually come into the dealership. So it makes selling a little easier for you because you've seen all these different personalities that go after these different after these different vehicles, specific vehicles. And, and it's almost like I remember that kind of guy or that kind of person. You know what I mean? Not like you're prejudging them, but it almost gave you like a heads up when you started selling. Am I wrong? Absolutely. I think that that part was the easy part. But as you know, Eric, it's like the survival of the fittest when you're yes. in right and um i saw it all i saw drugs and i saw people sleeping with each other and i just mm. i saw the worst of humanity in in many situations where you know you're trying to take advantage of certain people and i saw the worst of the worst coming out and it was weird even though i was in this environment and I wasn't even allowed to come into the dealership unless I had a client, right? So there'd be freezing days where the snow, rain, and you're just outside and you're trying to get a customer and you want them to follow you inside. So you go, hey, come with me so I can grab my uh -huh. card so you can just warm up. Like oh this goodness. is the environment that I grew up in, right? And so yeah. it gives you a lot of this word grit, Right. And people are like, how did you launch the startup and how did you grow it to over 100 million valuation? How uh -huh. had grit and grit comes from survival. And that's really what I went through when I was much younger in the car business. Yeah. Oh, Just my like gosh. Grit for the restaurant business, you know, it's yeah that job. Nobody wants that job. Nobody yeah. wants that job. And so if you're going to do it and you're going to do it for years, you're mm -hmm. going to develop grit. What are some of the things that, that stood out to you? It was, you know, in between you being that greeter, and then I want to go into constellation you, because a, a CEO is not born overnight. You're brewed over a long period of time. Absolutely. So what are, what are, what are some of the things that actually helped you to develop that grit? You know, I know you, you mentioned like, you know, seeing what your parents went through and paying for college but what are some of the big lessons that you got along the way that helps you today with Constellation? Yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned is I have to be true to who I am. And I know mm -hmm. that a lot of people talk about that, but I'm going to give you guys a story because I think it's it's interesting, right? It's one that I will always remember is sometimes when you want things, you're willing to say anything in order to get there, right? And I felt like I did that a lot in the car business too. You say wow. things just because you want to get to where you want to go. And I think a lot of people do that. So in the earlier stages of Constellation, I remember um, a, a client saying to me at a dealership, because back then we were still dealing with a lot of dealerships. They said, yeah. are you doing business with my competitor down the street? And I wanted the deal so bad that I said, no. And that night I couldn't sleep, right? I couldn't sleep because I went wow. through this whole thing being in a car dealership, trying to say to myself, what is morally correct? What is morally incorrect, right? And okay. I, 
I struggled with that because in the car business, it's very easy to overlook what's morally correct, right? Because there's so much money being thrown at you. Everything's about the sale. Everything's about the sale. Everything's about the money. Everything is about getting rich as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Our Mm -hmm. whole society is about that, right? But you lose yourself. So that night I couldn't sleep because I lied to this woman. I lied. So the next day I called her up and I said, I have to go see you. And I came in and I said, Bridget, I don't want you to be mad at me, but I want to tell you the truth. I lied. And I told her that being the CEO Mm. of Constellation. I said, I lied because I wanted the deal so bad. But the reality is I do have that other person's business. And if you don't want to give me your business, I'd rather have you know the truth and not give me your business instead of losing who I am. Because at that yeah. point, there's a cross road where I have to say, do I want me or do I want to lose me and have money? And that is one of the lessons that I learned in Constellation. I must always tell the truth. That's really, really, really important to me. I must always tell the truth. You know, Diana, you basically just said you didn't want to gain the whole world and lose your soul. Yeah. Just, just you know, all at the same time. So I, I, I respect that so much. And, you know, sometimes you just have to be able to turn away that dollar just so you can sleep at night. You know, exactly. now, now in informing now, tell me, like, you know, what brought you to say, I'm going to, you know, be the founder of Constellation. I mean, tell me about this. And then I want to know, like. What makes you so different from anything and everyone else? So tell me about like one, you know, what brought you to what made you say, I want to find a company that does this because of that? Yeah. I mean, I thought we were going to be a digital media agency back in May of 2016 when we first started. We never Mm -hmm. realized we were going to be a software company. It was only because we were going to fail because we had too many customers coming in. And then all of a sudden we couldn't scale the creative. And then realized that we needed to go into development. But it was all of, I know people always say it's the failures and you learn from them. Mm. It was all the failures. It was every failure we had, we would get seven clients, we'd lose five. We get 12 clients, we lose six. It was, we lost the six and finding out how do we fix it so we don't lose the six is what we actually ended up solving. We solved it for ourselves. We built a software for ourselves internally to do the work wow. in 2016, 17, and 18. And then mm-hmm. in 2019, our client said to us, our first software client said, I don't want your ads. I want that thing that you're using to make all of the creative. And I was like, oh, <laughs> our platform? And they were like, yeah. And then I said, oh my gosh, this is our first license deal. I had no idea that what we created oh was everybody else needed as well. It was, it was like, I had no idea. And that, at that point, that's when licenses started to happen for the first time. That's almost like its purest form though, because you didn't build it for everyone else. You built it for yourself. Yes. It was supposed to solve our internal problems. Wow. It wasn't meant to solve anybody else's, but then realized everybody else had the same problem we had internally. Mm-hmm. which is content creation. Everybody's struggling with the iterations and permutations of all the content. It's like Groundhog's Day. Whether you make yeah. a display banner, <laughs> a social banner, you have to start all over again from the beginning, right? With an artist making all of it. And then mm-hmm. I had artists that said, I didn't go to Pratt and Parsons and the best art schools in the world to do resizing all day. I quit, Diana. 
And that's wow. when I was like, all right, if we don't build this thing to actually do the resizing and what artists don't want to do, then we'll be mm -hmm. out of business. And so we built it internally because we saw a problem with people wanting to do that job and simplifying wow. that journey. Yeah. But why, why, I know you started there as a greeter and then you have consolation, mm -hmm. but why stick with the automotive industry? Why not other industries? Yeah, it's one of these things. It's like it becomes your cousin. <laughs> it, it, you stay in it for so long that you right. understand the people in the auto industry. You understand their pain. You understand what they are joyful about. You understand their failures and their successes, what keeps them up at night. You can read their minds because mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I was in the auto industry for um, so I was in the retail side for like 12 mm -hmm. years. I mean, retail, auto, oh. dealership, selling, finance manager for 12 years, then went to the automotive consulting side. And all I did was go to dealerships and fix broken processes for the OEM. Mm -hmm. And then I started Constellation. So it was like, you know, you're with them for so long, the auto people, and then you realize they're issues that they have but you oh, yeah. also want to help them because they become a family member to you right you realize mm -hmm. like all the pains that they have and you end up building a business where solves a lot of their pains and that's what we did we verticalized our solution so we have a solution for auto we have a solution for pharma we have a solution for direct to consumer we even have a solution for banking but we verticalize oh. each of solutions because they're so different from each other uh, that's that's just amazing I, I i love that i love that diana now in why do you think there's not more women let's just say in the automotive space why, why are there not more women in the automotive space is it because we all know like in the 80s and early 90s it was brutal and yeah. it was a guy's game kind of thing but you know like I think, you know, I've seen some, there's like a Liz who's on my Instagram and she is a powerhouse of a president of a dealership group. Yeah. Why, will we see more women in automotive? Do you believe? I hope so. And I do think so. I think things have changed a lot. You know, back in the day, you had to put up with a lot to actually survive the auto yeah. industry. Um, yeah. And I still think it's the same because you know, many of the women that I knew growing up, many of them stopped working for time periods because they were a mother, right? They were raising their family. Some of them became single mothers throughout the years. But women have a lot of uh, responsibility towards their family members, right? A little bit different from traditional yeah. male roles, right? Um, you know, we're, we're very much taught to actually raise a family. And because of that, we have to have different types of prioritizations that come into our lives. And a lot of women are looking for this word flexibility because, mm -hmm. yeah, we want to work super hard for whatever we're doing. But at the end of the day, we have our children that we're also caring for as well. And so we want to be also available to them to cook them their meals, to do all those things. And so, so many women that I know that are very, very successful women um, have to make a decision on mm -hmm. letting go of their family chores or their family responsibilities to make it in the corporate world. Me, I went through that too. If I didn't have a spouse that was able to support me to the 
uh, family chores and say, it's okay if you're not here during dinner time. I could have never been the CEO. Yeah. There's no way I could have moved nine times as a company, built it to over 150 people, went out to mm -hmm. Korea, South, South Korea, Dubai, and Canada, uh, grew out to over $100 million valuation. There is no way I could have done all that without the sacrifice of my own family. And wow. I feel a lot of regret towards that, right? Because of that was a decision that my family member had to be okay with me making. But a lot of women, they don't have that. They don't have family support or they're the single mother of their family or mm -hmm. they feel the responsibility that they have to be there for their children and their husbands first. We're torn in so many different areas. But if there was this word called flexibility in the automotive space, then wow. you would have more women. But right now, dealerships required to work 12-hour days. How, how is it that, you know, tell me like all the things that you've went through and you just explained a lot there, Diana, to you. Does that, the way that you feel now and the things that you've been through, does that affect the culture in your company? And has that helped change culture in your company? You know, I think that the culture of the company has a lot more than myself, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think when you have a very driven CEO and driven C-suite team, then mm -hmm. the culture becomes very intense of this wanting to win. Um, yeah. And I definitely think that we have that here, not necessarily just because of myself, but because we have something to prove, right? Mm -hmm. I, I have a short man complex. I always say this to a lot of people. I have short man <laughs> complex where I just don't ever feel like it's good enough, right? Like, because I've always been yeah. told it's not good enough because I'm a minority female, right? I'm a woman of mm -hmm. color. I've gone through a lot of challenges being a woman of color in a leadership mm -hmm. role and opportunity mm -hmm. and uh, not playing a submissive role because I'm Asian. And they're like, most people are like, you're an Asian CEO. You must be submissive. I'm the exact opposite of submissive. Oh, so because of that, I'm very hard charging for that reason because I have something to prove and I feel like wow. we have something to prove, but we want to prove uh, it I agree. because we're people of color. We want to say we got there. We got there because we as people of color got it there. We got here as a minority. We got here because we have 60, 70 people, people of color in our leadership team. We have people of color that work for us. You know, 65% of our teams are female, right? Like, we're not supposed to be here, but we're here. We're here today. Yeah. We're here to win it. We're here because we want to also belong, but we also want representation as well. Oh, my gosh. Diana, preach. Oh, my gosh. I think you just uh, blew up the microphone over here. <laughs> yeah. But you know, a lot of what you went through, you know, you you know, we talked about the culture and how, you know, everyone else has a lot to do with the culture and the company. But yeah. I mean, tell me about, but it has to have helped you lead with empathy though. You it you does. are driven, but you have to have some empathy to, you know, to, to be able to do what we do. I think that when I become a lot more empathetic, it has to do with people that don't have as much as um, we do, including myself, right? We are so privileged. I am so privileged right now in my mm -hmm. life. But I wasn't, right? And so I do have a lot of empathy towards people that struggle, right? Because I didn't get here without the help of every individual 
talking to me, encouraging me, telling me I could do it. And so I want to also do that with people that mm -hmm. don't have as much privilege. Um, you know, a couple things that I've done in the past is like taken, you know, our cleaning crew uh, that came in that was hired for yeah. our company. And I picked people and hired them on full time and put them on my HR team. Because if I see that people are being taken advantage of, and in these situations, they are, right? Like they're immigrants, they're making $5 an hour, like working for this cleaning crew. And I just, I feel so much empathy sometimes towards those mm -hmm. types of situations because I think about my mom, I think about my dad, I think about my family members that have struggled coming here and going through those challenges. And I want to help because I feel privileged at this point. But I yeah. wish more people felt the way that I did because I want to give those people more chances out there. Wow. You you are a different kind of leader, Diane. <laughs> uh, you, you, you definitely are. And I, I really like that. I, I want to talk about Constellation being a different kind of company, too. Sure. Now, you know, with all the different things that you've done, I mean, what's the one thing, you know, let's just say for those who have not heard of the company, um, tell them in, in, I guess, in an elevator pitch exactly what your company does, what your software yeah. does. It's an end-to-end -end software that uh, makes thousands of iterations of creative. So currently mm -hmm. in the market right now, you have to make content yourself, right? There's an original content maker, whether it's your iPhone or, you know, somebody's always making content. The problem yeah. is when you need the content for social, then you need it for display banners and you need it for programmatic and then you need it for mailers and email. Yep. You have to go back to the original content and mark it up, right? You have to put yep. in header, your messaging, um, the image usually remains the same. And then you have to sometimes put disclosures if they're basically an offer that you're gonna mm -hmm. actually. But it's like Groundhog's Day, you go back to the original content to make it for display. Then you need five programmatic ads and you go back to that, resize that same thing over again. Then somebody comes right. and say, I need an email. So you go back to the original content, make it again for email. This, mm -hmm. you take the original content, you put it inside of a machine, it assembles all the variations and permutations wow. of that on its own within a second's time, resizes it all, and then spits it out to Meta, to TikTok, to Twitter, to Programmatic, to Mailer, to uh, email. So if you need a thousand variations, you don't have to go to an artist and ask them to actually make iterations individually. A machine will do it all. In a second, Diane, I think I need to, you know, get into the software with you. <laughs> I think I need to get into the software with you. I mean, how much time does it actually time and money? Because those are the two things. When you talk to any kind of dealer, that's those are the two things that they want to hear about time. Yeah. But first, time and money. So tell me what it does from a time and money standpoint. Sure. I, I, from an agency perspective, agencies don't like this. And the reason mm -hmm. is. I'm disrupting billable hours. I don't believe in billable hours. Who believes in billable hours? There's only like agencies and lawyers that bill by <laughs> hours. And if you're billing by hours, it is not to their advantage to do it fast, quick, and right. efficient. It's right, not. Right. They make more money if they're slow. So what mm -hmm. I basically do is I disrupt the billable hour. What we're doing basically is saying as a subscription model, 
whether it's a few hundred or a thousand, we're going to make all the permutations that you need for your website, for your landing pages, for your email, for your wow. uh, display banners, for social banners, everything that you need, but we're going to do it through a machine and then basically give it to all your vendors out there. So they already have the creative, but we're going to do it on the first day of the month. In a dealership, because oh you have to go to an artist and do all the permutations and offer iterations, mm -hmm. two ninety, and then wait and then wait on incentives to come, and and, and then you add the incentives. Yep, fourteen days that you lose. Here, you launch in one day. So our biggest client, which I can't tell, tell you, but it's a publicly traded company. It's a huge. We'll talk about that offline, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> um, by using this right now. They were able to go to market on the first day for all 300 franchises, losing, wow. winning 15 days to market. So guess what? They were number four across the country. Now they're number one. You gain 14 days to market for every single month. Guess what? You're going to be number one because now you got... 29 30 days left of everybody seeing your ads versus everybody else still waiting for the creative yeah they're, they're still at the starting line and you're you're already almost at the finish line exactly. now, do do you see it like it's because there's there's the foreign dealerships well the foreign automakers and then there's yeah. the domestic automakers um do you see it where one side would want to get on to it you know faster than the other and i'll give you an example let's just say uh, like a like a BMW, and then there's Ford. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, so, do you see it where uh, some of the other brands are thinking more ahead than others? Like either foreigns thinking ahead of domestic, or the domestics thinking ahead of a foreign. You know, Eric, I think one of the struggles that the domestics really have is that they have so much infrastructure here in the U.S. because they're U.S. automakers. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is it's unfortunate, but, you know, there is a lot of networks that were pre-designed prior to startups actually mm. happening. And they're used wow. to using the same companies, the same agencies, the same processes. And everybody, it's like a relationship kind of thing. They've been with them for so long. And the it's problem, still that way. <laughs> yeah, it is. it is still a good old boys network in a lot of ways. And so because of that situation, when innovation happens, like our company started six years ago, we went out, we have over 1500 licenses out already. We work with 20 automakers at tier one, tier two, and tier three. What happens mm -hmm. a lot of times is if their traditional agencies are doing it the same way for them for so long, they don't look for disruptive models to actually right. go out there and make it more efficient because they don't want to break those types of relationships. But the foreign automakers, whether it be German or Japanese, they mm -hmm. are for innovation because I believe that they realize that if they don't innovate, they will die in this environment. True. And That's the reason, true. Because there's EVs now coming to market. There's like Sony I'm is building you. a car. Sony is building a car. Everybody's building a car right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, uh, gosh, I mean, you, you have such a great segue. I saw a Ford dealer. He posted on his page. He said, I welcome the EVs. Yeah. And he said, I welcome the EVs. It's, he said, it's, this is the new world that people just have to get used to. 
you know? And now, you know, you talk about being a disruptor. Now we had a big disruptor in the automotive industry in 2020 called COVID, right? Which changed a lot of things, but then I'll rewind back to uh, like 2018, 2019. Um, I was in a city and I saw a Tesla store. It's like a little Tesla store. It was in a shopping center and they had three cars inside the shopping center. If you wanted one, you had to order it. Yeah. You had to order it. And, and, you know, and I was like, gosh, what a great model. And I see so many Teslas on the road now. You don't see, you know, like in one market, you can have five or six different Ford dealerships. Here, we have to drive three hours away just to go get a Tesla store, right? Yes, yes. But, you know, now the domestics, well, all a lot of the dealers now uh, at the tier three level, they are forced to do ordering for their vehicles now. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, And it's a different world. It's a different world. It's a different world for them. Explain to the explain to the audience on how much of a disruptor that is for them and how a lot of them are not ready for it. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the automakers are, you know, realizing during COVID that you didn't need inventory to sell cars anymore. And so mm-hmm. what the big disruption really was, was there wasn't enough inventory in the ground. You know, the chips were really hard to get. And so car production slowed down. Also, there were a lot of automakers that were doing other things like, you know, doing mass productions and, and other things to help out uh, the world. Yeah. And so because of that, the plants turned into sort of a COVID center instead of actually a transport uh, for uh, automakers. And mm-hmm. so because of all that inventory slowed down when that basically happened people had to order their vehicles and it was truly disrupted now they realize wow we should still keep it this way because yeah you know how much money that a dealership actually floor plan yes the floor yep. planning and how much they're actually you know those cars on the dealership lot everyone is not basically owned by that dealership. It's owned by a bank and they're paying interest on those cars that's actually sitting there every single day. So if they don't move it, the interest levels go up significantly. It's a huge risk. So if the dealer doesn't have to carry that much inventory, they don't have to pay interest on all those vehicles would be a Mm -hmm. huge win for them. And then another thing, Eric, I think, which is really, you know, You have a lot of audiences that actually are listening in from the auto industry, I assume. And so Mm -hmm. here I would tell you, dealerships, you can now actually catch up to Tesla because right now Elon Musk is currently insulting the entire population of people out there by his purchase of Twitter. And Mm. because of that purchase of Twitter... I think most of the automakers are going to all stop actually advertising on Twitter. And the more comments this man continues to make, the more people that are dropping off advertising on Twitter, which Mm. then basically some of these people are going to say, I'm no longer buying a Tesla because I don't like this guy. And so because if he stays as political as he is, as well as the things that he's saying and there's going to be people that don't agree with them. And so those mm-hmm. people are no longer going to buy the brand Tesla. And it is going to affect both of its hmm. companies, which I know. Really- I, I agree. I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. You, uh, you know, you, you definitely have your finger on the pulse when it comes to the automotive and the automotive news as well. And, and what I, what I really like is I think you're, you're at that forefront from knowing how they work on the inside out. 
Sure. And that's one of the things that really helps separate you from any other product. Because I mean, they get products thrown at them all the time, but very rarely do they have a product created from one of their own or someone who's been in, within that industry. Absolutely. And I, you said something earlier that I really agree with. And we talked about some of the domestics on how there was a lot of relationships involved. But then I also feel like uh, there's... Uh, a, a, not a lot of um, growth. There's not a lot of forward thinking. And and I said this to someone before. I said the automotive industry were doing their job very well. There would never be a CarMax. Yeah. There would never be there would never be a Carvana. There would never be you know um, anyone doing the drive and deliver or order and deliver. They would have done it first. Your local dealer should have been doing that first. You know that way where. Uh, they could sell vehicles, you know, like CarMax is selling more vehicles in the market, like pre-owned vehicles than four or five dealerships put together in a month. And some of that is just, it's not that, you know, they have the best looking building. It's they figured it out from the inside out, like the way you did, how the sale is different. I think, yeah. I mean, I think the Carvana right now, the stock is tanking, right? Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but I get frustrated with the auto industries. We didn't figure it out first because we are traditionalists. Overall, we don't want a lot of changes in the auto industry. That's where Tesla came in from nowhere and basically mm-hmm. took the market because they didn't do it traditionally. And it didn't matter what Elon was saying. There's pro-Elon, there's anti-Elon. But overall, Automakers are not going to basically keep funding systems that basically compete with Tesla, right? So that's why Stellantis no longer is advertising on uh, Twitter. That's why General Motors is no longer uh, doing it on Twitter. But disruptors are happening right now because Mm -hmm. the word change is so hard for traditional automakers and dealerships. Mm -hmm. They don't want to change. And because of that, People from the outside the auto industry took the auto industry. And I want mm-hmm. to make sure that's super clear. <laughs> we, well, we people, people outside of the music industry took the music industry too. Yes, so it's it, it, change. It's our fault. There you go. Our fault. There you go. Wow. There you go. How, how do you continue to change? How do you continue to change Constellation? How do you say, okay, we're doing this in 2022, 2025, we need to be doing this. How do you have that vision for your company to be able to move it forward? How do you do that? Yeah, there's two re- two ways. One, you have to listen to the clients and the customers. If they find it frustrating to have a dealership experience, and Eric, think about this, right? Do you know how many people hated the dealership experience? We wrote about it. We had movies about it. Everybody. And we're like, oh, yeah, no, that's not really happening. Oh, no, I actually am. No, you sucked (laughs) greeting the clients. You put them in a box and started grilling them on the financing. The reality was the customer experience always was bad. You just didn't address it. You didn't listen to the client. You didn't listen to your customer. That's why you lost them to Tesla. You lost them to the journey of digital uh, advertising and digital um, marketing because people now just buy things online because they don't want to yeah. go to a dealership. You gave them a shitty experience overall, and therefore it was taken away from you, right? So yeah. you got yeah. to clients. And then the second thing is you got to give your teams enough autonomy to make things great. Wow. Wow. 
Yeah. I like that. Great I like idea. that. They must feel the freedom that they can implement that idea at your company and that you will give them money, resources, time, teams to grow that idea to something big. If you don't do those things, then you won't have that idea grow big. And so for wow. me, I definitely have great employees, but if they want to do something and they want to innovate and they come to me or they email me and they say, I'm thinking about doing this with data science. What do you think? I go, how much you need? I got, I'm giving you the budget. Here's the team members that I'm going to throw at you. Hire three more if you need. I trust mm -hmm. you. I believe in you. I know you got this. Uh, you don't find that every day. I told you you're a different kind of leader. You're a different kind of leader. You know, what? what is it? Uh, it, it almost seems like this is almost recession proof. <laughs> like what you have is like recession proof. I mean. Yeah, I think because I'm bringing down billable hours. It's cheaper to do it this way than any other way. And it looks better too. Machines mm -hmm. don't make a mistake there. And people True. have said to me, they said, Diana, you are also putting people out of work. And I, this is what I say about this, because automation is going to do a lot of it. I say people don't want to do this work. <laughs> I do the grunt work that nobody wants to do. I want people mm. to do higher level thinking. You think you want to actually make resize banners all day and mm -hmm. make sets? It's not original content, people. Original content is creative and it's using all your juices to make something beautiful. Right. This is resizing all this. This is making permutations of creative. Nobody wants that job. And then somebody you get yelled at because basically you made a mistake because you put a 299 versus a 199 or the disclosure was wrong. Nobody wants mm -hmm. that job. Nobody wants. So I want machines to do jobs that people don't want to do. And I want humans to do jobs where they can use their brain and be able to innovate and create. What does it take for you? You, you, you talked about a $100 million evaluation there, but Diana, what does it take out of you? I mean, when you wake up every day, yeah. what does it take for you to be able to say, I'm ready, I'm fit to be able to run this company? What does it take, Diana? Because it's not easy. What does it take? You know, it takes a team that believes in me. And I know that sounds weird in a sense, but the energy and the strength and the blessings that I've had throughout this six-year journey has everything to do with knowing that I must make a goal for our team, right? It's oh. like we do, we win together or we lose together as a team. And it's the mm -hmm. effort of every single person that's putting that effort for our survival. So when I get mm -hmm. up in the morning, I know that we have to provide for all the families out there that also believe in our organization, their children, themselves. They're doing this every single day because they mm. want to make it and they want to make it for the family members, but they also have to make sure they have the financial resources to make it for them. So I wake up every single day, supercharged, super pumped, because I know that in the end, it's for them and our survival as a whole. That gets me going the most. That's important. You you just kind of made it like a, a human first approach. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's all what it's what it's all about treating them like people. You know, yeah. your people that are with you like people. So, what what are some of the things that you foresee in the future happening in the automotive industry? Any kind of trends in business, and what what do you see happening? 
right now. I think used car inventory is coming back in a big way. And that's why Carvana mm. is sinking right now. So Carvana is tanking because they bought all these cars, but they bought it at the highest valuation because there was no inventory. Flipped mm -hmm. on a time because of all these interest rates going up. And so people are not buying homes or cars at the same rate that they were, you know, just a few months ago. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah of the market and because of that inventory is starting to pile up and Carvana now got stuck with all these vehicles and so now their stock is going under because cars depreciate in value every day that you have it is true less and less and less and so um, that's my prediction is now inventory is coming back uh, not electric because electric still relies on a lot of the chip shortage um, and Taiwan right now has a lot of the chips. And because uh, I think there is a global um, supply issue with, uh, you know, Taiwan, I think that because we're starting to make chips here in the U.S. now, it takes uh, five years for those situations to ramp up. And because of yeah. that, electric vehicles are going to still be pretty hard to get in the next couple of years. But gas-powered vehicles are coming back in a big way. So new and CPO and uh, uh, used vehicles as well. So my prediction is inventory is coming back. People are going to start negotiating prices again. You're going to get better deals than ever before because what we call subvented rates, rates that are reduced at like 1.9, 2.9, that's all coming back to right now on new vehicles. Mm. With OEMs realizing supplies are coming back. And uh, competition is going to be fierce. For marketers, it's great because now money's going to come back into the market to advertise those vehicles as well. And now dealers are going to have to compete for pricing. And therefore, they're not going to be able to charge MSRP anymore. And so oh, there's man. a lot more competition out there. Man, uh, you know, you take two vehicles, you go to one dealer and then you go 30 miles away to another dealer. I mean, night and day difference for the same same vehicle. Absolutely. Night, night and day. I mean, I saw one dealer who was like probably fifteen, twenty thousand dollars over sticker. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And it was because they could. Yeah. <laughs> it was because they could because the inventory wasn't there. Absolutely. So now it's changing. But from the consumer's perspective, they're going to get some good deals finally. And then last two years, people have not gotten good deals, mm -hmm. but good deals are here. You know, wow. and that's happening everywhere. I think, you know, inventory levels from not just even auto, but even merchandise right now. People have too much merchandise. Even Christmas coming, they have too much merchandise. They've ordered too much. Yep. And now there's a slowdown on the economy. People are not buying at the same rate. And so the people are going to have to get rid of inventory, which means then uh, supplies are high, demand goes lower, which means then they're going to start discounts. And so there's good deals coming ahead. <laughs> oh man that's that's awesome man uh you know diana i i enjoy talking to you today you are a ball of fire and i think your people uh your entire team their company they're uh they're actually ha they should be proud to have you as their leader well I really eric think I so. the same about you and so um from a person of color to another person of color we have a lot to prove and so yeah. i'm super proud of you i'm super you. proud of you be doing this podcast and and going out there to all of these people and preaching your your speech and I want you guys to be super successful because we have something to prove and 
we got to break yeah, we a do. lot of glass ceilings out there. Oh my gosh. Uh, look at you. You're motivating me. Come on now. <laughs> I, I, I just, I enjoyed having you today, man. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. And I'd love for us to probably get together and, you know, sometime first quarter or, or even second quarter of next year uh, and see, you know, what the trends are and what's kind of happening in business around the way. Um, if you, um, uh, you just reach out to us, I'll tell you that, man. Well, Diana, I thank you for being a great guest. I want to thank our listeners for giving us their most valuable asset, which is their time. Um, you know, I want to tell you guys, if you guys uh, love this podcast, make sure you give it a great rating, share it with your friends, talk about it. And you can actually listen to this on any of your favorite platforms, iHeart, Google, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So I want to thank my guest, Miss Diana Lee. Diana, tell these folks how to find you and how to find Constellation. I want them to know. I want them to know. Oh, thank you so much, Eric. So you can find us. Uh, it's www.helloconstellation.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Meta. We're on um, TikTok. We're on uh, uh, LinkedIn. Please, you know, link in with us and, and reach out. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the AdCast. Hey, guys, I'm back. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the AdCast. If you didn't, go online, give me a review, and tell me how you want us to make it better for you. And if you did, give us a five-star rating anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. But I want to thank you for your most valuable asset. That's your time, and thank you for listening. Enjoy the AdCast, and stay tuned for another hot episode coming up soon.